You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardo Sports Center studio. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. He's Money Mainville. If you need to gear up for the holiday season, last minute Christmas gifts, the place to go, Cardinal Sports Center, right outside the loop on Slide Road, mycardinalsports.com. Go catch up with your Christmas shopping, get you some gear, some hats, maybe a stocking stuffer there at Cardinal Sports Center. Get you some sideline provisions gear, whatever you need there at Cardinals, mycardinalsports.com. You can also get some gambling gauchos merch for the for the loved ones in your life. How you guys doing? Kyle, how you doing, man? Good. I'm gonna start my Christmas shopping tomorrow. Good. Are you are you a mall guy? You just go knock out a bunch of stuff at the mall or or do you uh go online? I guess you're starting this late. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess we'll see tomorrow. Money, do you have your Christmas gifts uh, lined up? I am. I'm an online guy. Don't like dealing with the amount of people that are in the stores this time of year. So big ups to Prime. I was just trying to think of the last time I was at the mall. I want to say it's been a a good while. I worked in the mall for a while. Told some of those stories on here. That's... uh, not something I would want to go back to. The holiday rush at the mall times, even the extended hours around the, the holidays. Uh, the first time I ever drank, uh, I had a shift the next day, and I was I was late to the shift. It was New Year's Eve one year. New Year's Day, I was late to the mall, opening up the mall. Anyways. Uh, all right, let's talk about basketball. There was a game today. Uh, you, you didn't cover i don't believe but uh you went again nine and two thoughts on that yeah pretty close to the spread but from vegas and from ken palm i think you were projected as a 13 point favorite in this one obviously ended the game winning by 11 that's a fun uta team i'd kind of poked around you know some of their box scores i wasn't gonna grind film for a 1 p.m thursday game my apologies um but very athletic team Uh, a team that likes to play with a lot of pace. I think you saw that today, just kind of getting up the floor and kind of hucking shots at times, just waiting for them to go in. But it very much felt like, you know, the last game before Christmas. Um, I think I had a tweet earlier talking about how in the second half, it just kind of felt like a pickup game. Uh, Tech kind of lost some of the three-point shot making that they had in the first half. Turnovers were really sloppy. It's kind of been two games in a row where Tech has kind of hurt themselves. Uh, by not taking better care of the ball, but thought you did some good things defensively as well. Pop Isaacs um, had a really good game, just off-ball defense, kind of jumping the passing lanes of UTA. I thought that was a big, bright spot in this game, but three-point shooting um, in this game, still still decent. Um, you're, you're pretty much in line with the efficiency. You didn't get it as much um, from the line as you did, you know, the past few games. You kind of went more inside. 
tried to work inside the arc some more, but yeah, just uh, kind of weird basketball to watch. Just not a lot going on. Um, guys kind of trying to get what they can out before the break. And I think this is one where you'll, you'll look back before big 12 play, you know, maybe think about, okay, how can we defend the perimeter a little bit better? You know, how can we avoid, you know, teams like Baylor or Houston getting these kind of looks or pushing the pace against us like this, but overall an 11 point win against a team that I think is pretty good. Um, and at least is athletic enough to, to play and hang in these games. Thought overall, you know, a win's a win, especially right before Christmas. I wanted to throw out some context games from the Big 12 this week, just to kind of look a, a, around the carousel here in the Big 12. Uh, Nebraska, Kansas State. Nebraska, 62, Kansas State, 46. This was on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Oklahoma State beat Oral Roberts, a common opponent, 8160. Uh, and then on Wednesday, Oklahoma State beat Wofford by six. Duke in a top 25 matchup with Baylor beat Baylor 78 to 70. North Carolina in a top 10 matchup nearly beat Oklahoma 81-69. And did you see who West Virginia lost to at home? Kyle, did you see this? Radford. West Virginia lost to Radford. A 10-4 Radford team that I know nothing about, but with the name Radford, you have no business losing to Radford. West Virginia now 4-7 and seven on the season with losses to St. John's, Pitt, Drexel, UMass, Radford. I mean, it's just a pretty, pretty poor showing there. I can honestly say I've never heard of Radford until just now. I'm probably some in, in the dark recesses of my mind. I've probably heard of Radford before, but if you would have given me a hundred guesses on who West Virginia lost to this week, I probably couldn't have given you Radford. Richmond, maybe. Radford, no. Do you know how many NCAA tournament wins Nebraska has in its school history? Nebraska, by the way, a state flagship university that has been in a power conference for as long as that concept has existed. Do you know how many NCAA tournament wins, not winning the tournament, how many yeah. games in the NCAA tournament Nebraska has won in its history? I have a strong guess. Money, do you want to go first? I'll say two. I have no clue. Zero. Zero. Yeah. And they were trying to clown Kansas state and Jerome Tang after that win. And like, I mean, I guess you won and, you know, that's a regional rivalry of sorts. And when you're a basketball program like that, pretty much any win over a power six school is going to feel like punching up. So hat tip to the Huskers, I guess. But that just looks a little bit pathetic to me. Like, I'm trying to think of what the football comparison would be like. If um, A&M talking about being undefeated non-conference against Texas schools. Yeah, something like that. And Which they did this year. K-State had a really good team last year, probably not that good this year. But it's just like, I don't know if as, as a basketball program, y'all are in the position to have your head coach mocking Jerome Tang like a national coach of the year type guy last year no. uh, because he won one regular season non-conference game. Uh, the question there 
how many wins for West Virginia? Um, I would assume they'll be at the bottom of the Big 12. How many how many wins is that? I don't know. Uh, they listed four. Surely West Virginia can punch and get four wins in Big 12 play, but they might not. UCF, eight and three. Uh, everyone thought they were going to be the worst team in the Big 12. Oklahoma State uh, at six and five uh, with two losses at home. Um, the middle of the Big 12 looks decent. Texas Tech, Cincinnati, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State, all there with two losses but undefeated at home. Uh, neutral site, I believe, losses for Iowa State and Texas Tech. I guess Texas Tech has a true road loss. but I just have no idea what to think going into the, the Big 12 sleep. Money, what do you think? Well, right now, Kim Palm has them projected to win one game the rest of the season, which is their next game against Toledo. So that's pretty horrid. And they even got Raekwon Battle back for that game against Radford. Obviously, that waiver situation has been making a lot of noise. Um, They got him back. I think he scored 20 plus and it it just still wasn't enough. So they're they're in a bad, bad spot right now. I think they're like 200th in net. that's, That's just unheard of for West Virginia basketball. Now we've so, seen we've seen somebody go defeated in Big 12 play. That was Iowa State a couple of years ago. So it it can happen. I feel about the same. I know we're not all the way through the non-conference slate. Like let's assume you handle business against lower level opponents at home these last two games. I think we're about where I thought we would be going into Big 12 play. Same. Like you, you had that three-game tournament, you had which we didn't realize how bad Vandy was going to be, but you had neutral site Vandy, and then you had a road game against Butler. I would have probably said in those five games, which were going to be probably your five most competitive contests, did like three and two is kind of the barometer. And that's where you are, and I don't think there's – I mean, you were close to beating Butler, not very close to beating Villanova. You and I was kind of an ugly win. But, yeah, I think this team is one that has their deficiencies, but also – doesn't just stink like they can also beat a lot of good teams, especially at home. If we can get some fans to the USA. And so I'm, my expectations going into conference play are about the same. Like, I think you're going to have to scratch and claw to finish 500, but I think like eight and 10 is pretty reasonable. And I think that's going to put you right on the cusp of the NCAA tournament. So I, I guess nothing has happened so far in the first dozen games or so that really alters where I was before the season started. Um, obviously, individual player developments like Devin Cambridge getting hurt or Joe Toussaint being that dude kind of maybe impacts your thinking a little bit. But I just mean on the whole in terms of team expectations for the season, I'm pretty much where I was a couple months ago, I guess. Uh, you mentioned fan support. I have noticed some ex-players tweeting out, hey, let's show up for the team. They've got a pretty good squad there. Show up, yada, yada. Uh, it's Thursday. People are still in school. Kids are still in school in Lubbock. Uh, it was 1 o'clock afternoon game. People are working. Uh, I will say this. If in conference play it looks like it did in the non-conference, I do think there's a conversation to be had. Uh, but I still don't think we're there yet. I, I know we've talked about this a couple of times. Um, it seems 
like an average Big 12 showing so far in non-conference. For a few years, you were in the top half of the Big 12 fan-wise, but for most of your existence, you've not been. So, I don't know. I I still think it'll fill up for conference play and and be a vaunted experience for teams coming in. Something I don't think we've ever gotten enough credit for at the USA is how gigantic that arena is like 15,000 is a lot for a college arena. And so if you sell out 8,000, I mean, congrats, but our attendance looks pathetic with 8,000 just because the arena is so big. So I still think you can have a good environment there. If the lower bowl is full and the upper bowl is kind of um, a little bit more sporadic. And I think the students will show up once you start playing Kansas, Baylor, Iowa state, Texas, Houston, I forget who all's coming to Lubbock this year, but yeah, I mean, you said it. You, you're doing the holidays, the uh, Christmas break, the games on during everybody's lunch hour. Like, attendance is always going to kind of stink. But once we get to these Tuesday nights and Saturdays, I think it'll pick back up. I don't know if it'll be at, you know, peak USA like it was 2018 to 22. Um, unless they start winning. You know, if we if we come out of the gates 6-2 and two in Big 12 play, then, yeah, it'll be there and we'll be in the top 25. Uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not overly worried about it yet. I still think if you get ten or eleven thousand there, it's a great atmosphere, and it's not going to look full. But that's still more than most schools are pulling, even if they sell out um, in were, certain instances. You were zero and seven, zero and eight in Big Twelve play last year when you played Iowa State, and had eleven thousand people there and came back from twenty nine down. So I mean, I th- I think you'll still get ten twelve. If you're winning, you'll get twelve to fourteen. And if you go on a real run or Kansas shows up, you'll get to 15. I mean, that's been par for the course. I, I, Again, in the last couple of years, we've been very, very high on the USA. But it's not like you have a really long history of the USA being sold out and just like Allen Fieldhouse. You know, I don't exactly know how the business side of that works. I'm just going to pull one instance when Kentucky came – in 2020, 2019, whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, the university seemed to like hold back more tickets than they should have. Cause I remember getting an email like an hour before tip off and they're like, tickets are still available. Like, so all that to say, I don't know, maybe we need to lower expectations. Sounds really harsh, but maybe be realistic about how many people are going to show up in terms of holding back tickets and ticket prices like if you're not if demand if sellout demand isn't there you can't be charged with sellout prices and so whoever's selling them whether it's a third party outlet or Texas Tech directly or whoever probably needs to be realistic that demand isn't as high as it was three four years ago at least not right now in this moment and hopefully they don't just um hold those tickets hostage at a really high price and we can get some fans in the arena for a reasonable ticket price. Young Trevor chiming in. Shout out, Young Trevor. Uh, it's definitely been pretty discouraging being a student and turning around and seeing it empty. Um, I saw Young Trevor on a Texas Tech reel the other day on Instagram. Shout out to uh, Young Trevor. I think he said he was listening to Drake or something. Shout out, Young Trevor. Our uh, first, what do you call it, intern? Employee? <laughs> Whatever you call it. Handler. Uh, 
any other basketball tidbits? Uh, it's Christmas. You, you have, as Money said, a game or two left here in the non-conference before you raid the Capitol. By the way, um, Joey McGuire, just out of context, telling a player from Austin that he was going to come and uh, see his mom on January 6th. He's like, I'll see you January 6th. I mean, you might as well have said at the Capitol, Joey. I, I mean, we'll, he meant I'll see you in Austin uh, January 6th because Texas Tech plays basketball in Austin on January 6th. But uh, that was hilarious. And that got a bunch of uh, people riled up on Twitter. The Red Raider sports thread on that tweet was <laughs> hilarious because somebody posted it as a joke. And so many people were serious in their replies. They're like, I think he's just referring to the move-in date is January 6th. And it's like, yeah, oh. he is. But, like, it's funny if you take it out of context. Hilarious. And then Root had, like, an incredible – what's that guy? The the shaman Photoshop with yes. Joey's face on it. Probably not for public consumption, but, uh, yeah, kind of funny stuff there. Um, my only remaining basketball tidbits – Really good to see Darion Williams seemingly get a shot back today. He's obviously an incredibly important player for this this year's team. And then just an interesting kind of dynamic I've noticed the last two games. Kerwin Walton has gotten the start, but Chance McMillan off the bench has gotten more minutes. Um, not sure if that's a pattern with, with just two games. Not sure if that's just sort of coincidence based on game flow. But I'm just sort of monitoring that in case we have sort of a six-man situation where he's really kind of like in baseball. If Kerwin Walton is sort of the opener, but Chance McMillan is going to wind up getting the majority of the minutes, or if it with all those guards, if it just depends who's playing well game to game. But I did find that interesting from today's box score. I mean, if it's a hot hand situation, uh, McMillan at 13 and Kerwin was scoreless today, so. Uh, Grant needs to verbally rile up fans and ask for attendance. Chris Beard begged. I don't think people remember initial Chris Beard begging people to come to games, begging students with Whataburger and free gifts, begging on his hands and knees, begging people to come to games. Then you built it up. So if Grant needs to get back to that, uh, it starts with the students, and then you uh, you move on to the rest of the world here in Lubbock. Tech students, Red Raider Nation. By the way, Ole Miss, Ole Miss undefeated and ranked, yeah? Yeah. I hate to say it, but that fireside chat stuff worked. Yes. Yeah. Why do you hate to say it? I think we need to all grow up and move on to to acknowledge all the good things Chris Beard did here in Lubbock. It's, it's the Christmas season, man. <laughs> I think we need to issue some goodwill and cheer toward uh, Chris Beard and his and his uh, career. I yeah, I don't want Coach Gas to do okay. fireside chats, but I do think that it's fair to say if if you can do it organically and not in a really cringeworthy way, then yes, take to social media and let's try to get the students back out there. Because you're right, Rob, it does start with the students, and winning winning helps all of this. I mean, it's very hard to get. People out for a four and six team. It's very easy to get them out for a twelve and zero team. It's just how things go. But if we can sort of organically inspire additional attendance, I'm all for it. Uh, so it's uh, 
North Alabama and who is the other game that we have left? Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State. Any and they're both better than Vanderbilt, Ken Palm was? Correct. Okay. So. Did Sam Houston beat a Big 12 team this year? Did they beat Oklahoma State or somebody? I see their best win is Lamar. Okay. Or Troy. Maybe, maybe that was last year. I feel like Oklahoma State lost to Sam Houston. But I could just be totally making that up. They played UNT in the scrimmage game before Tech and AM and Denton. And they played them pretty close. Obviously, UNT was still probably trying to figure out what exactly their team was, as Tech was as well. But they looked they looked pretty good, pretty athletic, pretty big. I think it'll be a, a decent game. Uh, Oklahoma State beat them by 15. Uh, Ole Miss only beat them by three. Speaking of Ole Miss. So we got to beat them by four to get revenge on Chris Beard. Ole Miss only beat UCF by two. So have they just played nobody? Like, is he about to actually get cooked when they start playing SEC teams? They beat Cal by 10. Who hasn't beat Cal, though? Yeah. Beat NC State by 20. Ranked Memphis, they beat by three. Okay. I mean, I'm not doubting. He's a good coach, and, like, he'll he'll have them right, uh, if not this year, then later. Close, close wins. Detroit Mercy, they only won by one. It's kind of Chris Beard's MO to win close, though. Hey, it's a player's game. It's a player's game. You got to trust them. We're a truth-telling program. Nobody has more respect for uh, for the opponent than Chris Beard. Uh, all right, let's move on to football. Uh, let's do what well, you know. Let's do this. We have a comment on it. Let's let's get to it. Will you guys be discussing the Florida State update, or is that a better off-season topic? I'll tell you what, Starter, it is the off-season, so we'll talk about it. Uh, today, Florida State allegedly – now, the most I saw – I know it was reported by uh, – what was it? Brett McMurphy had a couple of tweets on it. Pete Thamel, I guess, did a story on it. I initially saw it from M. Haver, so take with a grain of salt here. Uh, but allegedly – Within a year, Florida State able to get out of the grant of rights. There is a loophole somewhere in the grant of rights. Uh, Florida State is going to be out of the ACC. I think they could go straddle the ACC and beat Notre Dame if they could get a TV deal by themselves. I don't know that they can. Uh, what's the future for Florida State? Either Good question. Um, I don't know. I could, with with conference realignment being as crazy as it is, I could, I guess, be open-minded to a different perspective on this. But if I'm the Big Ten and the SEC, I don't know if anybody out there besides Notre Dame moves the needle for me. And so uh, Florida State and Clemson and Miami, all really good programs. Maybe there's an angle for the Big Ten to, like, move its footprint into the Carolinas and into Florida. But if you're the SEC, I mean, what does Florida State do for you? And I know Florida State is probably one of the top 10-ish college football programs of all time. 
but you've got Florida, Georgia, Alabama, like you've got the three state flagships in that corner of the U S plus LSU and now very strong presence in Texas. I don't know if adding Florida state to be like the seventh biggest brand in your conference does much for the, for the bottom line. And you reach a point with, I guess they're mostly now with ESPN, like how much, how many SEC teams can ESPN put on the airwaves every Saturday before you ultimately get to like ESPN plus or Friday night games and do the sports true blue bloods like Alabama, LSU, Georgia, are they going to want to sign up for that? Cause like if Oklahoma's playing Tennessee, you know, that's a marquee game. And then like if Auburn's playing Georgia, that's a marquee game. So then if you're Alabama playing Mississippi state and you're suddenly the fifth best sec game, you know, they got to slot you somewhere. And so I, I know, I know the money is lucrative, but it feels like with the big 10 being at 18 and the sec being at 16, I just kind of don't know what adding teams 19 and 20 or 17 and 18 does for you. So what I'm curious about really more than anything is, you know, if they, if they can get out of the grant of rights, what options do they have? And does the big 12 and ACC try to consolidate in some form or fashion? Like, is there anything the big 12 could offer a, a joint package of, I guess you'd start with Florida state, Clemson, Notre Dame and Miami and be like, you four, if y'all join the Big 12, could we have like a legit power three? What would the money be versus what you're getting in the ACC? I, I still don't think Notre Dame would ever join a conference, but I feel like you have to hit them up. And who knows, like if they can get 10 or 15 million more in a revamped Big 12, I think right now the ACC and Big 12 are like even money-wise, and so I don't think they would leave for the Big 12 unless you restructured your deal. I just don't know if the Big Ten or SEC would take them. Is kind of the so like where are they going to go if they're not going to jump to the Big Twelve and the other two conferences won't take them? They're they're in the ACC whether the grant of rights lets them out or not. Yeah, I don't I don't see a future for Florida State outside the ACC immediately. Um, everything you just said about the S, the SEC is true. Uh, the only thing that the the Big Ten would offer is outside of ESPN uh, a haven. But why would ESPN double Florida State's money to be in the SEC when they could just have them in the ACC? I, I just I never understood that part of it. Um, but I don't know what this uh, secret loophole is that they're going to be out of the the media rights deal. Uh, we also had the pro rata, pro rata rata uh, for Power Five teams joining the Big Twelve. Does that extend to ACC teams? Does it extend past the the four corners that we added? Uh, does it extend to seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty? I don't know. I, I just I have no idea what the next thing is here. Oh, appreciate it, Jackson. Thanks for being here. Oh, and we're getting Twitter comments now. I've This is the first time ever. And it still says they won't show up, but they are. So shout out to the X listeners. We're now X rated. Um, so I'm going to just read the Brett McMurphy tweet. Because I, mean, I, I think Florida State to the Big 12 is pretty much a pipe dream. But he says Florida State 
starting process of leaving the ACC, quote, will have an Oppenheimer-like ripple effect, end quote, throughout college landscape, a source told Action Network. As one of the biggest TV brands, Florida State could land in Big Ten or SEC. I just outlined why I think maybe that's not a slam dunk. And if those aren't options, the Big 12, sources said. And then we had a comment about why would the Big 12 throw a life raft? If you can't get like the top brands in the ACC, why would you get – I'm just throwing some names out there. This isn't shade. Why would you go grab Virginia Tech, Louisville, NC State as a life raft? I think there's something to be said for strength in numbers and stability and regional balance. And putting Louisville in a conference with Cincinnati, putting Pitt, Virginia Tech in a conference with West Virginia, I think is beneficial. But you're right. Like We should definitely start with the top four brands and see if they're that fed up with the ACC that they might move to the Big 12. My last thought on this is that I think this is a potential trump card that's out there is we know your mark wants to separate football and basketball and he sees value in the basketball contract being done by itself. It's a fast growing sport. I wonder if he could convince because my recollection from when you added the four corners was that the network said, well, do prorated for these, but like no more. Now, obviously, I think the calculus changes if Florida State could be brought into the fold and Clemson and others. But if the networks don't want to pay more and more and more schools that pro rata amount, could your mark play the trump card of, okay, we'll we'll renegotiate here. We're going to add four schools from the ACC for football, for a football contract only. And then we'll take basketball separately, renegotiate that. And so, like, maybe – Maybe you're still partnering with ESPN and Fox on football and they are willing to bring in Florida State or whoever from the ACC. But, or maybe you give them like a discount and say like you don't get basketball. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but like is that is that an arrow in his quiver that he could play and say like we're going to negotiate football and basketball separately right now to try to bring the networks back to the table? I feel like if you have Duke in North Carolina – in the mix for a basketball only conversation, Warner brothers, uh, which would be CBS, Paramount plus TNT, TBS, true TV, the, the tournament television channels would be all over that as a basketball content throughout, uh, what they're trying to do now that would be around the NBA. Uh, there's also, this is kind of off topic, but on topic, uh, the, the Warner brothers, this is some pro wrestling for you. They they currently have the TV contracts for AEW, but now they're in conversations to have Raw from the WWE, which would be a big television contract, so I don't know how much they have uh, to go around and start throwing at basketball-only stuff year-round, but I think that would be an option uh, beyond ESPN because it, it also seems like ESPN is at its wit's end. They're, they're going through a sale – they might leave Disney. Uh, it would be its own thing again, and they're not going to have the cash flow uh, to come back to the table immediately, I don't think. So I, I just – it seems like we're all going toward uh, – what, what was it? Oppenheimer levels of Ripple um, that, I, that I just – I can't foresee. I, I, it was all very clear to me what was going to happen with the Pac-12. Uh, it was all very clear – once USC jumped ship, everything seemed right and even. 
And then we all thought, or at least I thought, all right, now we have till 2030 uh, at least before we start having to worry again about the ACC because the grant rights is still 2034. But if Florida State jumps, who knows? Now, Florida State, Miami, Duke, and North Carolina in the Big 12 would be ginormous. And I think you would definitely have a power three. Uh, but beyond that, I just – I do not know. I guess the last thing I'll say before you – know, I want Ryan's thoughts on this too. This is like the eighth time in the last year or two that we've had this exact same news cycle of like Florida State is now getting super serial about leaving the ACC. And so yeah. it kind of feels like if it were as easy as hiring a bunch of attorneys and getting out of the grant of rights, it would have happened last time or the time before that or the time before that. So maybe absolutely nothing is going to happen with all this. But it is a fun offseason football talking point. Ryan, what do you think? My thoughts on this are probably really toxic. I, I try to leave a lot of the realignment TV network stuff to you both because that is very much your lane. I'm not as uh, studied in this topic, but I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, coming out of this season, Florida State maybe recognized, okay, you know, going undefeated and winning, you know, our conference in the ACC, maybe that's not good enough to make the college football playoff. And maybe that was, you know, the last straw that broke the camel's back in this entire conversation. And kind of my thinking is, what the hell is it going to matter next year when you can probably lose two games in the season and still have a realistic shot at making the college football playoff? And I, I know that's not uh, probably a line of thinking that Florida State is considering or a lot of other fans of their program or even just realignment in general are thinking but my thinking is is like if you were going to get out why didn't you get out you know a year ago when you said you were going to like I don't know the conversation just seems odd to me obviously you know when we talked about Florida State missing the playoff I, I said as a fan of their program I would be pissed um, to you know miss out on that after going undefeated winning your conference but the reality is starting next year you've got 12 teams in the playoffs like Florida state could, could make the playoffs next year with yeah. one or two losses under their belt. Like that's very much in the conversation. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. Um, my line of thinking with no research, no facts, just uh, considering the way that the college football playoff landscape is changing. Yeah. And the playoff thing has been, was the catalyst for all of it. Uh, oh, the Big 12 is going to get left out of the playoff. We're going to go to the SEC. Well, now there's 12 teams, and you probably still have a better chance out of the SEC to get in the playoff, especially out of the SEC West, except that doesn't exist anymore either. It's just the SEC. Um, I, I don't know. It is what it is. And Florida State is – you have to win the ACC to be in the playoff probably over the next couple of years with six SEC teams getting in or whatever it's going to be, but – you have an opportunity to win the ACC, so I, I don't know. I remember, or I thought of a better way to articulate what I was saying before is for your football contract with 16 teams right now, you have a certain amount of money that amounts to, I think, $31.7 per school. So if, if the networks didn't want to add more teams at that pro rate of number, I think how you could maybe negotiate separating out basketball is tell them, give us the same pot of money. So per team on football will go down a little bit if we add four more football schools. But you no longer get basketball, and we're going to go to open market and negotiate basketball ourselves. And then if you could – as long as you could supplement 
whatever you lost um, by adding four teams, not pro rata, as long as you could get more than that number per team with the basketball contract, you would come out ahead. So, again, I don't know if that's possible or not. I feel like the network's – well, but it's the same network, though. So, like, kind of what you were saying earlier, Rob, the ACC is all ESPN right now. So ESPN's playing Florida – or they're paying Florida State, whether they're a member of the ACC or they have a Big 12 patch on their jersey. So I don't really see why they would be incentivized to facilitate a move. Of course, you're also a partner with Fox. Maybe that changes the dynamic. I don't know. But I, I doubt really anything of substance will happen. But it's fun to speculate. I mean, if ESPN wants to say, we'll pay you the ACC number to be in the Big 12, and then you get Fox money too. I mean, that's a raise. Yeah. And well, so that we don't have to pay as ESPN. So we don't have to pay Boston college and wake forest. Right. Like if they, if they get the ACC to totally blow up and they don't have to pay those schools anymore or like Cal and SMU eventually. Now that might be beneficial. If you get to, if the ACC dies, that would benefit the big 12 because now you have more money. Um, but again, I just, What's good for the Big 12? What's good for the sport? What's good for the sport is the ACC figuring their shit out, in my and, opinion. And if you can pull off like a part merger with the ACC, and I'm using that term like if you can add, let's call it four plus ACC schools, and you're negotiating basketball separately, and all of a sudden you can, like UConn is available, Gonzaga is available. If you can facilitate Duke and UNC coming to the Big 12 in that basketball contract with what you already have, that could be really significant if you're negotiating all that separately and that's where i think that's as close as you're going to get to closing the gap with the power two is you're not going to catch up to them in football you'll get as close as you're ever going to get by adding a florida state or clemson miami in football and then taking basketball separately and adding duke uconn unc to a contract with kansas arizona like that could be how you do it and you have 24 teams in the big 12 basically i mean Play at that point yeah Play everybody once. Yeah, like not even. I don't know. I I uh, I appreciate dreaming big, but I don't know if I. Uh, I mean, you're I, not telling Duke no if you're about to go to open market on a basketball only contract, are you? No, but I would tell UConn and Gonzaga no at that point. I would stop. It. I would stop somewhere. I don't think I would. Well, I mean, it, it all depends on what the. TV execs say and what the money says. I mean, 18 of 24 getting in the big in the NCAA tournament every year. I don't know, but like, I mean, we're talking about a 12 team playoff with you know eight SEC and Big Ten schools. That's what the Big 12 would be in basketball. You'd be the basketball conference, and then you would you would have the Big 12. Uh, well, Lubbock Linero said it over here: Big 12 East and Big 12 West. It would just be the old school Big 12 in the four corners versus uh, West Virginia. UCF and the ACC. You'd you'd have to do pods at that point. Like it makes no sense to not have West Virginia, Louisville, Cincinnati playing each other and for UNC, Duke to be playing each other. I mean, you're just planting your flag like a Viking and calling it the Big 12 West, but it's or East, but it's just the S. It's just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) That was, that was hard to say. Uh, all right. Uh, signing day was this week. Texas Tech finishing with the 21st best class 
besides Micah Hudson money, who are you looking at in this class as a great signing? Uh, B, uh, what was it? A B class ranking from the, uh, <laughs> from some of the talking heads here in Lubbock. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, North Texas, Ellis Davis, just an absolute force of humanity. Um, I think, you know, watching the last couple of seasons of Texas Tech football, I'm sure Joey had it in mind that, you know, getting better in the trenches was an absolute necessity. You've got to find a way to keep your quarterback healthy for, you know, as much as you can, at least. And I think a lot of that starts on the offensive line. And so to pick up a guy like Ellis Davis, I think is huge. Um, if you've watched any of his tape, it, it's just a lot of pancake blocks. He is just, he is a mass of a human being. And I know Joey likes to tweet out that gif of the, the bulldozer just going down the highway and just taking out cars. I mean, that, that really is kind of what it feels like to watch his tape. Um, just gets off his blocks really well. You know, he can run pools really well. Um, even when it's not just straight up guarding the defensive lineman in front of him, he's got some agility to him too. And so I think Ellis Davis is definitely a, a needle mover for me. I think that's probably one of the best pickups you have outside of Micah Hudson and Will Hammond, obviously, but to get better at offensive line was a must. And I think this is a pickup that definitely gets you going in that direction. Uh, four consensus, four stars, the first five star ever. Uh, sprinkled some four stars in with the rest of the class. Cameron Dickey was a four star on on three, nowhere else. And I think there was a couple more four stars. Uh, let's see. Jalen Conyers, obviously a four-star transfer. Caleb Douglas, a four-star transfer. Um, just a big signing day for Texas Tech. All arounds, in my opinion, an A-plus class. Kyle, what do you think about uh, the class as a whole, and who would you say was your uh, favorite signing? Agree with Mainville on Ellis Davis. If it weren't for Micah Hudson – Ellis Davis on some of these recruiting rankings would be your highest ranked recruit of all time. So kind of reminds me not to bring this up again, but Chris Beard, like three years in a row landed the highest ranked basketball prospect we'd ever had, at least before they reclassified. So just really impressive stuff. I think Cheetah Ophili, hope I'm pronouncing that close to correct. Sort of the edge player. His tape looks incredible. Uh, just like super twitchy, gets to the quarterback in a hurry and then pancakes him. A guy who's kind of under the radar, again, partly because of Micah Hudson, is another guy I think they're taking as a receiver. He's listed as an athlete, but um, his name is Lorenzo Johnson out of Madisonville. If you watch his tape, like he's rated on rivals at least uh, like a low-end three-star. You watch his tape, he's just faster than everybody. And I think he could be just as explosive, just as much of – a game breaker as some of these really highly rated guys that we're excited about. So I, I think he's getting slept on as a really interesting prospect. And then the last one I would highlight is Malik Ascara DB. He's listed at 6'3", 185. If he can fill out that frame a little bit, I could see him maybe playing that star position. And he would be uh, incredibly fast playing that sort of hybrid role. I forget his track times, but – among guys in his grade that ran like 300 hurdles and 110 hurdles, 
you know, he had like some of the best times uh, in the state last year, but he's basically a full calendar year younger than other kids in his grade. So he should actually be a junior in high school right now. And if he was with the tape, he just put on display his senior year and with his track times, he would probably be a high four star. So he might not be ready right out of the gates. Cause I think he's going to show up to Lubbock still 17 years old, but when he's 19 or 20, I think he's going to be an absolute freak. And so we have to be patient with some of these guys, but I'm, I'm really excited about a few of those that I just rattled off. Uh, one I would mention is Peyton Morgan, who seems like an absolute ball hawk. I think I saw an interception from him in every game. It seemed like on Twitter they were posting an interception from him from every game, uh, including a couple against uh, Will Hammond, I believe, uh, when they played the Hutto Hippos. So just all-around solid class, first in the Big 12. You finished fourth last year, 21st in the country, uh, on on three, 23rd in the country on 24-7. Uh, I don't know what the rivals, what was the, you know, off the top of your head, Kyle, what the rivals overall team ranking was? I don't. Oh, I think it was around 25. I've got it pulled up here. Uh, it was 23. So consensus top 25 class uh, starter says, you know, the class is elite when you don't even mention Will Hammond. Uh, Money mentioned Will Hammond. I, I Quarterback is one of those where it's like a uh, professional baseball draft. I hope I don't see him for two years. Uh, so that's just a guy that's going to be in the class and eventually going to be like, oh, yeah, Will Hammond's here, and he's the starter this year. Uh, that's good. Yeah, good, good for him. I hope I don't see Will Hammond until he's the full-time starter taking over for Bear Morton in two years. You have 14 kids in this class on rivals that are 5.7 which is a high three-star or better. I don't want to park it on the past too much, but there was a time when if you had like two 5.7 guys in a class, they were your two headliners. So they have 14 rated at that level. You also finished with 12 in Rivals' Texas Top 100. All of your high school commits are from Texas, by the way, which is no surprise with this staff. Like that was clearly their strategy and they have executed it perfectly. That's more than any other school. Obviously, there's some context there. Programs like Texas and A&M recruit a little bit more nationally. But if you keep 12 kids home every year that are in the top 100 in this state and you just stack those classes year after year plus whatever you supplement in the portal, you're going to be just fine. And so I, I love that this staff came in with a plan, with an identity. They stuck to it. And they've taken guys from Louisiana or Oklahoma or wherever. But really kind of what they – sold us on as being their best attribute when Joey McGuire was interviewing for this job was I've got relationships with Texas high school coaches. We're going to lean on that to recruit really well. And he gets an A plus plus so far in that category through his first two and a half recruiting classes. So just an excellent job. I also don't know. I'm guilty of this myself. I don't know when we're going to quit doubting James Blanchard. So going back to Will Hammond, when they accepted his commitment, his other offers were like UTSA and Incarnate Word, and that was it. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, Morton's a stud. Behind that, Jake Strong was not super highly recruited. I think he had a couple Power 5 offers. I was like, "Why? it's early. Why did we take this kid? And then literally days later, he's got like Tennessee, Oregon, Penn State, Michigan. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's – I'm the idiot. James Blanchard is a smart one. This is a blue chip guy. They just knew it before everybody else, and that's why we got his commitment. 
And it was the same way with the portal class after the portal was open for a week. It's like, who are we signing? We don't have anybody to play O-line. It's like, oh, now we got a four-star transfer, four-star transfer, Juco guy that Georgia and USC offered. Okay, we're fine. So it, it's going to happen. I'm going to do it again. And probably two weeks from now, they'll get a 2025 guy to commit who's going to have no other offers. And I'm going to be like, what are we doing? And six months later, he's going to have a Bama offer. <laughs> so I, I remember telling you this on the podcast, Rob, like a few weeks after Joey was first hired and, you know, he, he had to get to work on that first recruiting class, finish that up. But right after that was wrapped up, he said, we have the best scouting team in the country. Like James Blanchard is elite and they've added guys like Brian Nance, Jake Pittman. They're just doing an incredible job. But he said, if, if we offer a guy and he doesn't have any offers, don't worry. That kid can play football and our scouting team is just better than everybody else's. And you kind of took it for what it was worth at the time, but they've proven that actually over and over and over again. And so it, I, I think mostly I'm good about trusting it. Every now and then there's a time where I go, what are we doing? Yeah. And then it always ends up just sunshine and rainbows in the end, because they are that elite of um, scouts, recruiters, closers, and it's just they get exactly what they want every time, whether it's in the portal from the high school ranks. It's awesome to see. Well, and it went so fast in the last two weeks. You got a couple of JUCOs, cut them loose, were in and out. Um, defensive tackle, decommitted, went to BYU. Tight end, committed early in the portal season, and it has decommitted now. A couple of more, I believe, in and out. Offensive lineman, in and out. Gooch. Gooch uh, accepted a scholarship to Louisiana State, Arkansas State, Louisiana Tech, something. Uh, but not here. Uh, I want to go through the Big 12. Now, recruiting rankings are weird. Uh, I'm going to start with the on three rankings. Um, so... 23 total commits for Texas Tech, a five-star, a four-star, and a three-star. The only other team in the Big 12 with a five-star committed is Colorado. The only team with a five-star signed is Texas Tech. Um, But Texas Tech, by average recruit and by total class number, is the number one class in the Big 12. Uh, Do you guys want to guess the rest of the class, or do you just want me to read them off the top ten? The top 16. You can just read them off. Okay. UCF, number two, 18 in the class. TCU, number three, 21 in the class. Uh, Kansas, Kansas State, Colorado, the top six. Arizona State, Utah, seven and eight. West Virginia, Arizona, nine and 10. Arizona's class, I feel like, fell off a, a little bit at the end. I thought they were higher or would finish stronger. Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, BYU, Iowa State, 10 to 14. And then Baylor, 15, Houston, 16. Baylor, with all of the issues they've had in the last two years recruiting, only 14 in this class, which is why it's so low, but they are the youngest team in the Big 12. So it makes sense that they don't have a lot of seniors leaving. Uh, They did not have a lot of turnover in the portal. I think three guys entered the portal. Um, so that is a small class. It makes sense that it's a small class, but they are at the bottom. 
And if you want to resort it by uh, class size and team ranking, whatever you want, it's still pretty low. Uh, though Colorado on 24-7 is the 16th ranked class because of their, their the size of their class. They have six commits right now. I'm really curious how basically an all-portal strategy is going to work out for Colorado. Yeah, in the Power 5. Three? What are we calling it now? <laughs> we'll see. Once Florida State's done, we'll see. Uh, okay, I did want to talk about this. I wanted to ask you if you could name the top five or six recruits in the internet recruiting era for Texas Tech. Oh, for and Texas this, Tech. This is according to 24-7, and they had to have played a snap here. I don't know if I'll get the exact right order, but Micah Hudson. Yes. Jack Anderson. Yes, he's number three. Braden Fajoko. Number two. Four and five are Michael Starts and Delvin Simmons. Delvin Simmons uh, flipped to USC. Yeah, I wouldn't okay. have gotten those. And then seven is Dominique Wheeler, who did not play here. So you're missing six, eight, nine, and ten. Were Harold and Crabtree up there? Morton's got to be in there somewhere. Morton is number eight. You're missing a, a t- three offensive players, a tight end, a wide receiver, and a running back. Oh, was Jason Morrow up there? Jason Morrow, number six. You said a wide receiver and a running back? A wide receiver and a running back. Was Kenny Williams up there? Nope. Uh, early 2000s running back. Ryan Briggs' favorite player. Oh, Johnny Mack. Johnny Mack. And then I, I do not think you'd get the wide receiver if I gave you all night, but I'll, I'll. Uh, oh wait. Wait, wait, wait. Is it Devin Lauderdale? No, he committed as a, an athlete, and this would be the Cliff Kingsbury era. Maybe the Tommy Tuberville committed, class, but uh, played in the Cliff era. Uh, returned a kickoff in the bowl game. Reginald Davis. Reginald Davis is number 10 all-time Texas Tech recruit. What high school did he go to? Like Tanaha? Something like that. I uh, I always thought Reginald Davis was like the next big thing. Every year I was like, that guy's going to break out this year. He had a solid career, but uh, Kiki QT, Jonathan Giles all kind of broke out in his stead every year it seemed like. Yeah. I think he was like a – 2A or 3A quarterback, but yeah, just like ran on everybody. Yeah. It's an interesting list. Uh, Delvin Simmons never played here. Michael Starts, uh, I don't really remember him at all. Class of 2012. If you go deeper into the list, uh, Ellis Davis, number 11 in the class. Uh, the legendary J.F. Thomas, who never made it here either in the Cliff Kingsbury era. And then Cheetah Ophelia, number 13. I think Peyton, in the on. Wait, hold on. Peyton Morgan, number 16. Will Hammond, number 18. Uh, 
And then Jordan Sanford from last year rounding out number 20. Graham Harrell at 15, Kenny Williams at 14. So you weren't far off on those guys. I think in the on-three rankings, Ellis Davis is like the number 56 player in the country or something like that. And so on some of these, there's a, a pretty big discrepancy. Like I think ESPN thinks that Will Hammond is like a middle-of-the-road three-star, and he's literally like number five or six in the Elite 11 camp. Yeah. So, which I think on three has – a um, industry ring that takes all four of them and kind of like combines it in a formula. So anyway, it kind of depends on where you look on some of this. Uh, on three also has the NIL value. Uh, Will Hammond and Ellis Davis right around a hundred thousand. Micah Hudson, 356,000 NIL rankings, which is what it is. Delvin Simmons played here for a season. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't remember that. I thought he went straight to USC. I guess he was here and redshirted for a year. I think uh, from the JUCO ranks, I think Robert Johnson was a five-star like JUCO player. And I think Derek Willies was either the number one player in JUCO or the number one wide receiver in JUCO when he committed. I don't know if there's a separate list that shows that, but they would both be among your I think, highest-rated Juco guys ever. Oh, Delvin Simmons, six tackles versus Minnesota. He did play here for a year. Who'd have thunk? All right, uh, anything else? Ellis Davis felt like a really easy answer. So I'm going to I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say a sleeper on the offensive line is Jacob Ponton. I think he's listed at 6-7, didn't have a ton of like really high major offers, but a guy that's got some really good tape at tackle, really athletic, really big. And if your last name has ton in it and you're playing offensive line, I just feel like that's a good sign. So Offensive line, obviously going to be one of the hardest positions to play young at, but I feel like Ponton and Ellis are, are definitely, you know, going to benefit from being in the system, you know, doubt they play many snaps the first few years. Maybe Davis sneaks in there, but Ponton and Davis, man, that that's an exciting two guys to have on your offensive line for the foreseeable future. I can't wait to do pontoon boat memes with, with him once he's, out there pancaking people and we'll have to workshop it, but there's got to be something there. Um, I kind of glossed over this guy. I didn't even name him earlier, but Maurice Rodriguez is the Juco offensive lineman that I highlighted. I think we've had a new transfer offensive lineman to talk about every episode, our last few. This guy's six seven, three twenty-five, really long arms. Offers. He's a California guy, and he had offers from USC, UCLA, as well as Georgia, Georgia and others. Yeah. And he chose Tech. And so I think this is a guy you are bringing in. He's not terribly experienced, but I think the raw talent is there, and I would assume he's going to be very much um, in the two-deep discussion at one of the tackle spots with Ty Buchanan and maybe others. And so that's a big piece because if you do feel good about Ty Buchanan starting at tackle – You've got your two guards, uh, Davion Carter from Memphis and Vinny Scurry from Toledo. I think you can move Caleb Rogers to center if you want. You can keep him at tackle if you need to. 
Yeah, so I'm starting to feel pretty good about this offensive line. I don't know if they're going to be elite or anything, but I do think that they're bringing in enough pieces now that if they have a decent hit rate, we're going to be improved over where we were last year. And that's all kind of assuming that none of these young guys are ready to play, which I'm not willing to concede because I think if they quote-unquote had to play a guy like Nick Fatigue or Nick Fatig, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, at center or Sheridan Wilson, I think they might be able to get the job done. So um, uh, this is a position group they've they've added just volume and I think in a couple of those guys um, some pretty credible experience based on PFF grades and all-conference honors and everything. So I know that was a point of emphasis. Obviously, you're losing a ton of age and experience there, but I've, I feel like we're in a pretty good spot through this winter transfer portal window, and who knows what might happen later on in the spring there. But I think they did a really good job at that position group. If you're going Rodriguez, Scurry, Rogers, Carter, Buchanan, I think you have a better offensive line this year than you did last year. Um, hell, if Ellis Davis is playing right tackle, uh, I'd be fine with that too because you you want to get your guy you want to get your guys in there. I certainly want to I want him to be playing here five years from now if he if he's a four year starter after a red shirt. But I also want to be good now. And if he's the best five you have, you play him. You can see if you can add 30 pounds to him before uh, next fall, which I think you can. Uh, this is just rich. I wanted to read it. This is from Kyle's favorite Twitter account, mhaver3. Hearing Klyakov will be fired with cause as early as January 2nd, Oliver Luck would be named as an interim CEO to help guide the pack through next steps in rebuilding slash merging. What are we doing? What are we doing? It's dead. It's over. It's it's not coming back. It, let it die. Let it die. Let it die. I, I just, it's ridiculous. Would you take the Pac-12 commissioner job, Kyle? I assume it pays really well. I, I would take it. They can fire me in a year. That's fine. Doesn't or didn't Bowlesby wasn't he making like ten million or something like that? Something ridiculous. Yeah, I'll be I'll be your Pac-12 commissioner. I would guide that conference to heights it has never seen since those other ten schools left. You only need two. The Pac-12, and then there were two. What if it was uncovered that that was actually part of Kirby's deal with Oregon? He was like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna move this game around so y'all can play the Civil War, but in return, we need a hundred thousand dollars cash, and you'll have to hire this local podcast host as your new commissioner." And they're like, "Okay, fine, we'll do it." It'd be pretty scandalous. I'm not saying that happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. But if I'm named Pac-12 commissioner in the next couple months. People might wonder. People would wonder, for sure. You know what people do wonder about, Kyle? And they don't have to? How good Reginio Barbecue is. Reginio Barbecue. Alton, Texas, on 7th Street, 
if you've been there in the past couple of years and you took a right on eighth going into Olson, Texas, now you take a left on seventh. It's a, a beautiful venue, indoor seating now. Uh, the restaurant open five days a week. Check their Instagram, their website for their holiday hours. Get you a smoked ham. There on the website, RahinoBBQ.com, or check them out on Instagram for all the information you need. RahinoBBQ.com. Merry Christmas to Reno Barbecue, by the way. They're uh, feeding people for the holidays, and I'm sure they'll take some time for themselves as well. One more quick thought on recruiting before we move on. If there's one thing you know about recruiting, it's that it never stops. And the 2025 recruiting class right now on Rivals is ranked 15th in the country. So let's freaking go. And that's with a couple of those guys not ranked yet. I would imagine those were Blanchard finds that once they're ranked, they'll probably be high three or four stars. And our average like recruit score or whatever will go up. So these guys, this this staff, this recruiting department just absolutely never sleeps. And they are amazing at their jobs. I hope they get a raise this offseason. There are six players in that class, by the way, so far. A couple of athletes, a couple of wide receivers, three wide receivers, actually, and a quarterback, Lloyd Jones, who is a four-star, the only four-star in the class so far. Uh, all right, is it time for a Matador Transit mailbag? Let's do it. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic-tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? All right, let's see if I can uh, sift through this mailbag here. Lots of reply bag action going on. Uh, why is OU men's basketball getting so much love outside of USC, who is overranked in a down Arkansas? Who have they played? No quad one games. Why is OU number seven in the country? Port of Motion. They won't, they won't be for long after losing to UNC. But I do think they, they've got something going this year. They, they look like a good team. That's kind of been Moser's philosophy is it's going to take a few years. Obviously, he hasn't been at a program with as much resources and you know just size as Oklahoma, but they're going to be good. And I think uh, you know if he can figure out a way to get some butts in seats at OU, because as much as we've talked about the, the attendance at the USA this year, I mean, Oklahoma's attendance for years now has just been dreadful. But if he can get some fan support going there, that, that's going to be a, an interesting basketball program to watch over the next few years. Realistically, what can be done to help Kitley out next year? I know we've colloquially said run the damn ball a lot on this podcast. Uh, but what realistically can be done to help Kitley out next year, Kyle? It's a good question. Before I address it, I want to go back a little bit on what I said last episode. On, I think the question asked in the mailbag was like, 
was the offense that we saw against Cal, what Kidley wants to do long-term. And I said, if we're averaging six yards per pass attempt, I hope not. I'm going to reel that back a little bit because we were actually averaging about nine per attempt, I think in the third quarter or maybe at halftime, you know, after the fast start by Morton and everything. And somebody posted on uh, the message board that maybe like Morton's arm was starting to get sore again that late in the game. When you're playing with the lead, you're probably not going to go downfield as much. We did it a little bit like on the interception after the turnover. But it makes sense that like your yards per attempt is going to fall off if you quit throwing downfield with a lead and with an injured or a sore quarterback. So that's still only one half of football as a sample size. But I feel like with that context that I hadn't really considered before, that might have been a little bit harsh. I think what what could benefit Kitley, and he's clearly a guy that would rather throw the ball than run it. And that's not wrong or right. That might be your preference or not. But, like, when he had this thing humming at Western Kentucky, they threw the ball a lot, and it worked. Um, like, in almost any statistical offensive output metric, EPA, whatever, they were really good. And so you can be elite by throwing the ball a lot. But I think because that's his natural inclination, he sort of needs a yin to his yang. And I think a run game coordinator that could just kind of compliment him and say, if the end goal is this – you're probably pretty good at getting there with the pass, but here's how I can help you out by also mixing in some run concepts that will also enhance our passing game. And like we can play off of each other a little bit. Uh, We talked about as well, sort of the dynamic with some OCs are up in the box and have that bird's eye view. Some offensive coordinators like to be down on the sideline. He likes to be down on the sideline. I think that's fine. But if you had a run game coordinator up in the box, they don't need to be a co-OC or anything, but somebody like that with, a different vantage point, a different kind of offensive philosophy or emphasis to bounce ideas off of when we're game planning or making adjustments at halftime or in between drives. I think that would just kind of make the offense a little bit more well-rounded and complimentary. That was the word Joey used when he got hired. So I think that's a realistic thing you could do this offseason. And whether that's promoting somebody from within or bringing somebody in uh, from outside and kind of adding a staff position there, I think a run game coordinator up in the box would be sort of an interesting experiment that I would like to see. Somebody more up in the box this year. I I uh, I don't know who was in the box this year. Um, somebody needs to be up there. I. It just it feels like it feels like that is a very easy thing to do. Uh, I I also we just say run the ball more. Um, it's not just more carries. It's more efficient carries. It's two back sets. It's uh, utilizing a, a tight end as a fullback. It's Jalen Conyers uh, playing quarterback, doing some read option stuff, whatever you want to call it. It's a creative run game, not just GT inside zone, GT duo, duo GT with the tight end. Like you, you have to have more, more. You just have to do more with the run. Uh, where does Alex Lyons rank all-time Texas Tech tight ends? In their A-rate era, he's top 10 for sure, top 20. Zero drops in his career. Yeah. Never lost a game while he was here. Uh, good work ethic. Committed well. Uh, thoughts on committing to a team via a poem. I'm going to read you the poem from Dylan Rayola. In the realm of college dreams where purpose takes flight, enter Dylan Rayola, 
crafting his narrative in the night. Once lured by Georgia, where powerhouse glory gleamed, yet Nebraska's purpose in his heart brightly beamed. In the scarlet and cream where legacies entwine, Dylan, like Rogers, Rozier, and Crouch, a hero in the line. No longer a cog in some powerhouse machine, but a quarterback with an even grander ambition unseen. So fellow fans await with hope in the air for Dylan to choose his purpose to declare. For Dylan, uh, in, in weekend's decision, destiny calls to fulfill his purpose for a dynasty enthralls. Would you commit via a poem, Kyle? Over under that poem was written by Chad GPT. 100%. 100%. Uh, if you had Christmas carolers come to your door and sing Rudolph, how quickly would you slam your door on them? I've never had a caroler experience. If I slammed the door on them, I wouldn't be able to do the overrated chant in their face. Yeah. You know, I think that's not true. I think my dad was a principal for a long time. I think his, like the sixth grade class used to go caroling. So we'd get them at the house every once in a while. But uh, have you ever had a caroling experience, Money? Have you ever gone caroled? I have done the caroling myself. Yes, I think I went to some nursing homes when I was a little kid and, and okay. did that with some with some school kids. That was a good time. Yeah, I, I certainly have been caroling at a at an old folks home. We served green beer there at a at a St. Patrick's party one time. It's like oh, the most wholesome Gaucho's content ever. Just imagining young Rob and young Ryan caroling to the. Old you folks, sang, you never sang in an old folks home. No, I remember going in my neighborhood because my pastor lived like seven houses down, and he was he was like the worship pastor, so he could sing really well. Is this the Super Bowl party guy? Yes, yeah, same guy, um, Pastor John, and we went caroling with him and some others from the church one year. The only thing I remember from it is we were singing Noel at someone's doorstep. And when it became apparent they weren't going to answer the door, we quit saying Noel and started singing No One's Home, No One's Home. That's the only thing I remember about going caroling because it was so long ago. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever been car caroling in public. That seems like... Uh... Do people do that still? Do people carol still? Doesn't seem like it. I, that just seems like a, a, bad, a bad thing. Uh, does Kyle feel old watching his dad at Nebraska? This is not the reply bag, guys. That was about Dylan Riola's dad, Dominic I, Riola. I don't remember him at all. He was a sinner. He was a he was a bad mofo. He was nasty. I guess that's why I don't remember him. Yeah, he was there like I guess late '90s, early 2000s when they were still yeah almost really good. Like they were coming off being really elite in the '90s. I went to school with a, a kid. He was like a huge Cornhuskers fan. So he, I remember him telling me about Dominic Riola in like first grade. Uh, since Duran Bradley committed to Boston College, what does that tell you about the other Texas Tech players in the portal and well, they're, where they'll end up? Miles Price to Indiana. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, Indiana U is just the Texas Tech B team this at this stage in the game. It's like when all the Rangers players used to go to uh, Baltimore. 
that's just a second chance. You them in Houston. You're, if you leave Texas Tech, you're either going to Indiana or Houston. Uh, but uh, Dram Bradley seemingly uh, pursued by Oklahoma last offseason. Jumps in the portal this offseason, does not go to OU, which I guess was still a thought. Uh, but he'll end up at Boston College without just, you know, slamming the rest of the guys leaving. Uh, what does that tell you about the the situation? I, We're slamming him. I don't care. No, I, I filter all of this through what I call the Jalen Polk test. Jalen Polk left and he upgraded the situation. And so I determined that he's a guy that if you could have gotten him to stay, you would have tried your hardest. And you can definitely count that as a loss for your program. But no offense to any of these guys when they go to Boston College or North Texas or wherever. It's probably a guy that wasn't going to get as much playing time here and that we've probably upgraded over at that position. And so that's that's no shade. Like you have to go to different levels to get playing time every now and then. And so if it works out better for everybody, then great. But I don't view any of those as a Jalen Polk type loss from a couple of years ago when he decided to go to Washington. Uh, Monroe Mills to Louisville. So that's three yeah. out of five transfers. Yeah, I think him and Chuck going to Louisville, I would count that as well, their individual situation. Like Mills would have started had he come back. Louisville, the better program over the last 10 or 15 years. So you can count that as an upgrade for Monroe Mills. Doesn't mean, though, that some of the guys you're bringing in on a five-man unit like the offensive line, I mean, you could still be better there. Shuck, going to a better school, but like probably was probably gotten passed over as a starter here. Maybe they would have had an open competition. I don't know. But so those are kind of a unique circumstance. Like Bradley is just straight up leaving because, well, I don't know, because he was a starter here, but was not terribly productive at all and maybe felt like he wasn't going to be a starter next year or who knows what. Uh, what would your walkout song be and why is it Wooly Bully? Could you sing Wooly Bully? Oh, yeah. Okay. What would your walk-up song be? I guess this is a, a baseball-related question. Or you just – if you walked out of the house every day and a song played, what would you what would you play? Hair of the Dog by Nazareth? I might go – if it's baseball, I might go Magic Stick by Fiddy. Yeah. I also like Feel All Right by Steve Earle. The beginning of that song. Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. Money, you have a, a walk-up song? It feels like riding the bandwagon, but after the Rangers won the World Series, I would walk to work and listen to Hire by Creed the entire time, and I would get to work like seven minutes faster than I normally would. And so I think it I think it might be higher. How long could you last in a retail job with nonstop Christmas music? I like Christmas music. If it's uh if it's if it's not repetitive, like I used to get annoyed listening to uh top 40 retail working because it was just the same eight songs on repeat. 
So if it's more than eight songs and you get some variety, I uh, Christmas music does not bother me. Same. The uh, I'm with you though on the on the repetition because I worked at a movie theater and in between movies when we would go clean the auditoriums, it was about four or five songs and it's just like you you'd have to hear them all because it took you that long to clean the theater and then you go to the next one to clean it same four songs yeah. and then they're playing on the TVs in the lobby when you're not cleaning the theaters that was rough oh yeah that was like okay I've and they would change the songs after like several months. But one week after they changed the songs, you were absolutely sick of them. And you knew at that point, like, it's going to be another 10 or 12 weeks with these same songs that I'm already sick of. Yeah. It's tough. Do you ever work retail there, Ryan? I don't think we've talked about your job history. Kyle and I have uh, both gone through it. I did. I I think there's a lot more that would bother me about it during the Christmas season than the music, just to be quite frank. People are crazy, man. I had, uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell the story. Can I tell the story about the time I ruined a lady's Christmas at the movie theater? Oh, no. Did you spoil a movie or? No, we had a, a confusing rewards program. So a, a small popcorn costs $6. And if you had enough rewards points, you would get a, a $2 popcorn, like a $2 small popcorn. So what was normally six, you'd get for $2. But people always just assumed that because it was a coupon, it was free. And so they would like slap the coupon down on the table, and just like grab the cop, the popcorn and leave. And I'd be like, oh, excuse me. Like it's, it's $2. And like looking back on it, it's, I can see why they're irritated because it's like it's two bucks. Yeah. But I'm just doing my job, you know, for $7 an hour. And they're like, no, it's a free. And they would like point at the coupon. I was like, no, it's a, it's a $2 popcorn. And they're like, well, how much is it normally? And you say $6. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. Like, yep, and we're back to square one. You owe me $2. And this lady told me we had that exchange on, I think, either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And she told me that I had ruined her Christmas by charging her $2 for popcorn. Which makes me question how committed to the holiday of Christmas she was, if that's what did it for her. I had a a hearing-impaired woman trying to find a last-minute gift for somebody in the Christmas season. And we had like a screaming match in the middle of the store because I was trying to tell her that we didn't have what she was looking for. It was a different – I worked at a Texas Tech merch store, and it was the the rival store. So I was trying to say, it's it's not us. I know what design you're looking for. It's it, We don't have it. And she was she was not having it. Um, Let's see. What is your favorite Christmas gift of all time? Just being with family, man. I got a Nintendo Wii one year, and that, like, completely changed my world. Oh, yeah. As a young kid, getting a Nintendo Wii just burned through hours of Wii Sports that day. So much bowling. That was that was a banger gift for sure. I remember getting my PS2, and I believe NCAA 04 with Joey Harrington on the cover. And I remember inviting my granddad over the next day and being like, Look, it looks like the players are real. These graphics are insane. A couple that stand out to me, same deal. I got a PS2 one year. That was insane at the time because I don't think I'd owned a game console until that point. I'd only like played it at my friend's house. Same. Which especially when you're like only getting to do it for an hour or two at a time. Yeah. 
Uh, it's just like the coolest thing ever. Uh, one year, this was funny. Uh, we got an iPod back when iPods were super cool. It was our first iPod. My sister and I had to share it. But my mom wanted it to be special, so it was like the last gift we opened. And so before that, we had opened like a, a CD player and like headphones like I'm wearing now that plug into the CD player box. I forgot what those are called. And we were like happy with that. And then my mom, when she when we opened the iPod, she was like, yeah, I don't know if you like still need the CD player. I was like, no, we have a freaking iPod. And so we got to like exchange the CD player. Yeah. And then the last one was a, a silver BMX bike. It was a mongoose. Oh yeah. And it had the the pegs and all that. That was this freaking sweet bicycle. I'm trying to think back to uh what Santa gave me, if there was any. Um I know we have children listening, so I don't want to go too much into Santa Claus, but Santa and my dad had eerily similar handwriting, which is how I came to some conclusions uh, early in my childhood. Um, yeah, we always we always went to uh, my grandparents' house for Christmas Eve in Lovington, New Mexico, and uh, truly, some of the the best gifts are just uh, memories with family. My granddad accidentally was scrolling through the television. All the whole family was in there in the living room. Went by some Skinamax real quick. I, that was a core memory for me as a kid. Everyone's like, whoa! And then he's real embarrassed because he's the one that had the remote. That was a pretty good time. Uh, this goes back to the Lady Raiders loss in Maui. Uh, how big of a difference is it going from shooting in an arena to this to the uh, high school gym slash convention center? Man, Lady Raiders, it is striking the difference between like when the men go to Vegas and the Lady Raiders go to Vegas or when the men go to Maui and the Lady Raiders go to Maui. Um, those venues are are just terrible. Uh, what They played in like a half a hotel last year in Vegas or two years ago. And everyone was up in arms about that one. And then Maui, they're uh, live on YouTube. Uh, not YouTube TV, just like regular old YouTube. In a high school gym there in Maui, it just... Uh, it is what it is, but the the production value seems uh, widely different between between venues. And I, I get it, but uh, it is very hard. And even going from the USA to like Madison Square Garden people talk about how hard it is because Madison Square Garden is so vast that it's hard to get the depth perception right. Uh, but the Lady Raiders lose their first two games of the year there in Maui. I think the tip times are also important there too. Like yeah. you're you're playing basketball at 1130 at night. Like that is that is nuts. Wild. Yeah, how do they how that didn't make sense. I guess it makes sense because when you go to Maui, they're playing at like 9 a.m. because there's 10 games for the men or whatever it is, trying to get all those games in, but crazy. Uh, what are your views of signing high school basketball players in the portal era? Would you focus on the portal? Yeah, I think I would. Well, I think I would still take several high school guys just knowing that Half of them are going to leave after their freshman year. 
So like if you if you take one or two and they leave, then you have no young depth being developed. If you take four and two of them leave, you still have two that are growing year over year. And I think there is some value to that. But yeah, I think every team in the country pretty much, other than like the Kentuckys that can just play with five McDonald's All-Americans, are going to be taking portal guys from lower levels every year to fill like three of their starting spots. So I wouldn't just give up on it entirely. I would just understand, uh, you know, there's going to be some spoilage there, just like in the grocery industry, like not all of this is going to make it to the finish line. And that's just what we're signing up for when we do it this way. Money, you're the basketball guy. Do you have any uh, thoughts on recruiting in basketball? I think the more and the longer that McCasland is at Tech, kind of the frequency that we'll see high school recruits kind of being a point of emphasis is is just going to increase. Like the freshmen that are on the roster right now are not really his guys per se. I think he was, um, you know, a big part in getting EY here. Um, but Steph was, you know, a part of Tech's plans for for a while before McCaslin was even you know, thinking about becoming the head coach here. And so, again, I I talked about it a little bit last episode, but he's a program builder. And so um, he clearly utilized the portal when he needed to and did it well. I imagine that he will continue to do so because that's just kind of how you have to survive in college basketball right now. But I'd be surprised if there's not, you know, one or two guys redshirting every year that come into the program a little bit later and, and start playing some big minutes. Uh, conspiracy alert. Steph was not at the game today, already back home. Ryan commenting, it looks like Steph is transferring. I think that's jumping ahead of the game there, but uh, he could be, he could be, or he's redshirting and not playing and just went home to enjoy his Christmas. I don't know. Was there more on that after the game? Did somebody report that he was transferring? Nope. Okay. All speculation right now, but I'd say watch it. Uh, what do you think about the National Signing Day graphics, videos, etc.? Some are really bad, and some are really good. I thought Texas Tech's was uh, above average. It didn't have puppets, which is always I, a win. I liked the puppets. Was that Baylor? Yeah, those were awesome. Why did uh, what was the drama with uh, Dave Aranda not speaking on National Signing Day? I think he just never does it. And it confuses a lot of Waco media people. But like, why? What are you going to say about the 100th ranked class in the country? I guess, but yeah, just odd. And you have a whole TV show here about your uh, recruiting class, and you were doing that with the 75th class in the country. Old Matt Wells. Uh, let's see. What do you have? Like, uh, I remember Oklahoma did like a mission impossible theme one year and Lincoln Riley was at the desk and they like slid a CD to him and he put the disc in and was like, this is your mission. Should you choose to accept it? And then it was like him recruiting the whole, the whole time. I don't know. Uh, with this year's signing class and portal additions, how long does it take for Joey to finally beat Kansas state? I can guarantee it won't happen next year. It will not. Don't play them. I guess guess we could beat them in the Big 12 championship game. 
We could. What's more insufferable, not being able to watch the Chiefs game without 300 references and camera shots of Taylor Swift? Or all of the Texas fans replying to anything Texas Tech football puts out on social media? Taylor uh, Swift is more annoying. Texas fans are more annoying. You can mute Texas fans. You can ignore the Taylor Swift shots. How? They sh- they shoot to the, to the stands every game. Yeah, but you don't know when it's going to happen until it's on your TV screen. Are you saying that Taylor Swift is such an ogre that uh, her being shown on television bothers you? I did not say that. That's what it sounds like. I am sorry that your hearing is that bad. I didn't <laughs> use the word ogre or anything that rhymes with it. Why, why does it, but they don't talk about her anymore. It's just a shot over and uh, just like anybody else's wife. I just don't need it. Is it, is it because it's Taylor Swift or do all parental shots, parental wife shots bother you? No, I think if it's interesting, I'm fine with the shot. So when uh, DeVito, when they're going to his agent and his dad and they're doing this, that's funny. And I, I was like, show him after every play. But I don't kiss everybody. I don't need to see Taylor Swift after, you know, Kadarius Tony bounces one off his dome to the other team. It just no. doesn't bother me. Uh, would you give up eight months of your life to fast forward to football season? <laughs> no. Have you seen the movie Click? Yeah. Would you click your life away uh, to get to football season? No, I mean, I, I do love football season, but I have a son that will be born in between now and then. So I'd, You've got some things going on in between. I'd like to experience that. that. You don't want to fast forward through. Uh, I don't think I would either, but I don't have a son being born. Money, you got any kids uh, on the horizon? No? no, no kids. If I can get paid like for that time and that money just ends up in my bank account like I went to work every day like normal, I'm, I'm down. Uh, with Texas Tech announcing a new class on Taylor Swift songwriting, what artist could you teach a class on? George Strait for Rob? Follow up, would you take a class on a specific songwriter? Like John Mayer for for you, right, Kyle? No, I don't think I know... I don't think I know any artist or musician well enough to maybe Elvis Presley. I'd have to do a little bit of a, a refresher course. Did you see the Taylor Swift discourse on Twitter? This one, not the last one that they were having a class on uh, at Texas Tech. Yeah. I mean, can I be candid? Yeah. I think it's a little bit ridiculous. Can I, can I be candid? Sure. You took a bowling class, Kyle. Uh, that's not true. Or walking. You did a walking class. Yeah, I also think that was ridiculous. I was in the College of Arts and Sciences, and they required two physical education credits, which I don't think should be a requirement in college. And so I had to do that for my degree. You didn't but take like, Who took bowling? It's hard for me to hear about how, like, these poor college students are drowning in debt. And I go, well, yeah, like, that's a tough trade-off, but they're learning the essentials about math and science and literature and civics. And so maybe it's worth, and then I go, oh, they're just listening to a professor show them like YouTube videos of Taylor Swift. It's like, I wouldn't pay money for that. I certainly wouldn't borrow money for that or ask somebody else to pay for that for me. You don't think there's more depth to the class than just watching Taylor Swift on YouTube? 
I have no idea, but I think that's absurd. What about like uh, movie classes where you just watch movies and cinema? Yeah, I mean, if you're an art major, I guess that makes sense. But like, would we do that with Timothy Chalamet and just like who else is like that trendy that we would just alter? You, you remember Dwayne Johnson. Do you know why the Toronto Raptors are called the Raptors? Because dinosaurs were popular in the 90s when they... Because Jurassic Park had just blown up and they went with the stupid in-the-moment fad and now they have one of the dumbest names in professional sports. What's wrong with Raptors? It, it makes no... It has no regional tie-in to Toronto. It looks so... Can you imagine 20 years from now, like, all right, I'm paying off my last student loan debt. This one was for the history of Taylor Swift, which I can find on Google myself, by the way. The people taking that class already know everything about Taylor Swift. That's it, another part of my problem with it. Like, it, I took a class called Terrorism and Counterinsurgency because I didn't know anything about that. And because the professor was an Air Force veteran. Yeah. I learned a lot in that class. If you're signing up to take that class, you already know everything there is to know about Taylor Swift. Maybe so. It's about the songwriting. It's not just about Taylor Swift. Then do a course on songwriting and study all different kinds of songwriters over different eras and different genres of music. Don't make it about one musician. A friend of the program, uh, New Slang, he said that uh, in the future, the works of Taylor Swift would be on the same level as Shakespeare. I kind of doubt that. Well, but Shakespeare is not terribly relevant. Like, ask all the Taylor Swift fans to name three works of Shakespeare. Money, could you name three Shakespeare plays? Hamlet, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet. Is that a Shakespeare? Nailed there we it. go. Look at me. I'm on fire. Can you can you go some more here, Kyle? No. <laughs> I guess that's kind of like the crux of my issue with it is... Name three Taylor Swift songs. When I was back in college, they did this video in the uh, free speech area, and they quizzed tech students on, like, who's the vice president, who won the Civil War, and these kids didn't know the answer to it. And then they asked him, like, who's Kim Kardashian dating? And and they knew all the answers to that. Jimmy Kimmel's been doing that for years. People are Sure. Sure. Yeah, like, point at South Africa on a map. People can't do it. Grown adults can't do that. And so I think it's fair to assess that in our society there's an extreme overemphasis on pretty useless knowledge and that people don't know things that have like been passed down for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years like that have sustained a lot of belief systems and societies for generations and generations. And we're like, well, throw that out the window because there's a new pop star and that's what we should be learning about instead. Don't you think maybe the crux of the course is to relate her songwriting to the past as a gateway to learn American literature and songwriting. Maybe. And that's like a hell of a white flag to wave to just say, you know what? The kids are never going to care about Shakespeare or any other American author or any American author. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's just basically like admitting that it's game over for society. And I'm sure that Taylor Swift songs will be uh, studied more than Shakespeare in a hundred years, but it'll only be because nobody will care about Shakespeare or anything else like Shakespeare. And they all, won't be able to like, all brains will be mush. Yeah. 
Uh, this is a fun football question. What past Texas Tech quarterback is Barron most comparable to? I don't know because I have like never seen Barron Morton play the game of football while healthy. What about Seth Dagey? I think he's got a stronger arm than Dagey when his shoulder isn't hurt. That's kind of why I'm hedging a little bit. Let's see. Would would you take a class on a specific songwriter? Would I? Yeah. No. I feel like no would be the answer. Like you wouldn't take a Chris Christopherson class or Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the degree requirements. Like Waylon Jennings. Like if you had to take an arts class. Yeah, if I had to take a music class regardless, like I took all kinds of classes I had no interest in, but I had to to get a degree. Yeah. Which again, I think I was a political science major and they had me take in horticulture. Why do I need to know about plants? I took history of rock and roll. I took jogging and walking. I mean, was, I could have been out of there in two years just learning about stuff that I was actually going to use. Yeah. So I'm not just targeting this one class. I think there's a lot of uselessness. Did you take bowling money? I, somebody took bowling that I've talked to about this. I did not. I took, I took the uh, intro to cinema while I was at tech and history of rock and roll as well. I think those were two classes that I had consistently heard were very easy and I had electives to use. And so that's what I did. Cause that's the kind of uh, academic weapon I am. I just try and find the easiest route possible to get those credits. That's how I chose my minor. I was a personal finance minor and that was only because they offered all 18 hours necessary to get the minor online. That was before online classes were real popular. I was like, great, I don't have to show up and do it on my own time. I'll be a personal finance minor. What would our record have been this season if Gino figures out his field goal issues before the season began? I, the big love, he took bullying at Tech. I take issue here, and this is the second time in two weeks we've taken issue with a Brandful question. Sorry, Brandful. Uh, he made a 50-yard field goal against Wyoming, and they screwed him and made him kick it again. And that's the one he missed. So if he would have, if they would have just said that one counted, you probably beat Wyoming. So seven and five, but your other two losses, uh, West Virginia, maybe West Virginia games gets changed with that early field goal. Uh, but you still miss the touchdown at the end. And then Oregon, it doesn't matter. You're not, you're not beating Oregon with field goals. So seven and five, maybe. We also won a game or two because of some clutch kicks, right? Yeah. Uh, is there a more quintessential marching pep band song than Lord of a Thousand Dances? How about Seven Nation Army? That's a good one. What, what about March Grandioso? If you're in the, what is Lord of a Thousand Dances? I don't know. Uh, uh, is that it? I would reckon we'd recognize it if we heard it. I think we played Time Lord. We played uh, Go Big Blue. That's a that's a pretty quintessential pet band song. Hey Baby. Do we all know Hey Baby from our high school days? I rocked that on the tuba, by the way. No, no, no shame. Uh, when Texas Tech hosts the first round of the playoff next year, what team would be the coolest to bring to the Jones? 
Texas. That would be hilarious. That would that would be hilarious. Uh, I was thinking like Bama, Georgia. Georgia would be fun. I think A and M or Nebraska or USC. You think Rayola with his uh, poems is going to be taking Nebraska to the playoff? I just think Joey versus Rule would be, and have like an old Big Twelve. Will be twelve matchup. Yeah. All right, that's uh, that's the mailbag. I, I was kind of assuming there was going to be more Christmas questions. I guess we did that a couple of weeks ago with the Christmas questions. What are you guys doing for Christmas dinner? Are you uh, traditional or are you going rogue, Kyle? Tamales. I see. I feel like that's traditional in uh, in this part of the country. That's a traditional Christmas dinner. Tamales, especially in uh, Texas. Mainville is your family uh, traditional. You Christmas turkey again, Christmas ham. We we've got some routines. So typically, my dad will make some steaks, and then we have creme brulee every year, and that's always something that I look forward to. So, looking forward to getting into that. I don't think I've ever had a creme brulee. Do you torch it yourself? Oh yeah, got a little hand torch. Go after it in the kitchen. It's good stuff. You can make it in a crock pot even. Really? Yep. Just put your little uh, your little bowls in the crock pot with some water. Gotcha. I gotcha. Go. What do they call that? The water bath. There's a word for it. Not sous vide. That's the thing bon with the Marie. bag. A Bon Marie. Bon something. Uh, don't drink too much eggnog. Are you guys eggnog people? Do you drink eggnog? Only non-alcoholic. Dairy and alcohol do not mix well oh, for me. Like a white Russian? You're not drinking a white Russian either? I'm not a big milk guy. Same. <laughs> I, I just don't. Like, I'm not drinking a big glass of milk for dinner. Colt McCoy was on a podcast the other day, and he said he drank a large glass of milk for breakfast and dinner every day. And he used to drink a gallon of milk a day, Colt McCoy. I used to, when I was in high school and I was trying to gain weight, I used to drink about a half gallon of chocolate milk every day. I I could probably do chocolate milk, but. Looking back, that's so disgusting. Uh, nobody else in my house drank it. And so my mom gave me permission to just, I would go to the fridge and just take the whole gallon and just <laughs> chug it. And however much I drank throughout the day was but I would go through them like crazy. Like we would go by three, you know, for the week. And, but she was all for it. Cause like, she was supportive of me trying to gain weight during football. And she knew I wasn't going to drink regular milk like that. And so all the time, and I, I would probably make myself sick all the time too. And just imagine doing that right now. Like it's disgusting. You ever done a gallon challenge? No, I think, I think at one point I had a gallon in 24 hours. But no. Gross. Uh, what's up with the ring around the Rosie Tush Push play in the Independence Bowl? It happened, man. Trying to trying to draw them off sides, I guess. Uh, all right. So what do you put in eggnog? Rum? Is that the traditional? How many pounds did you gain, Kyle? I think the most I've ever weighed in my life 
eating five meals a day, drinking half a gallon of chocolate milk, and lifting five times a week was 165. So maybe five or 10 pounds with all that effort. That was like creatine, protein. Yeah, I'm just, ripped. I'm not built for it. Ripped 165 too, I bet. All right. That's all I got. You talk about your favorite Christmas songs or what? Favorite Christmas movie. Is there a movie you watch every year? I think Home Alone. Probably Elf. Feels easy, but... Yeah. The family... Kyle, you're not a fan of Elf? Judge you a little bit for that, Ryan. <laughs> the family always watches uh, It's a Wonderful Life and uh, The Bells of St. Mary's. I'm more of a Santa Claus kind of guy with Tim Allen. That's all I got. All right, we're getting some Merry Christmases here. I, apparently, we can see Twitter comments now, so that's cool. Uh, all right, final thoughts? Shared joy is double joy. Mm. Shared joy is double joy. I like that. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys uh, a couple of days before the New Year's, probably on that Thursday again. Uh, I'll be in San Antonio. I think uh, Kyle will be storming the Capitol with Texas Tech basketball money. I, uh, I'm assuming you'll be in the DFW. So we'll be well represented uh, in the state of Texas next week. All right. We'll see you then. Love you all. Love you all. Merry Christmas.